Yeah, I do feel strangely nervous seeing 22 listens. <laughs> I mean, a voice not so far from me right now claimed it might be only 0.12 people had listened oh. to this based on the fact that you yeah, know, bounce yeah. rates. Whereas I Industry think benchmarks. it's a maximum of 12 people that we might drive to self-harm through this being no, as bad as it is. I mean, when, we don't want them to, obviously. Like, you're listening to us, so clearly you're decent eggs. But, you know, <laughs> our level just might be that low. But, you know... The harm radius is presumably minimized at this stage. At this stage, we have a very small spirit. level of <laughs> the level of our discourse. Um, but but um, hello, listeners. We, yeah. Oh, well done, Jamie. If you're there, we should, we should you're acknowledge there. and greet. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. You make me nervous as balls by your very existence. But <laughs> hello, you're welcome here, and we value you highly. Um, yes. And in case you're wondering where you are. <laughs> just clicked on not, three not Southlanders. Um, yeah, this is a Jamie's children. This is our actually. Well, I've kind of given up on the numbering a little bit, but let's call it our tenth episode uh, where we uh, watch and talk about Prime Directive, which is the tenth episode of the first season. Mm. Um, but before we dive in, Jamie, into your one-minute summary, which has never been exactly one minute, I'm pretty sure. Um, well, I always thought it was supposed us? to be a one-line summary. <laughs> so I, I think there's there's a communications breakdown there that is clearly the first thing that's going to push off our 0.12 to 22 listeners. <laughs> um, but you were telling us a really nice story before we started recording about um, this podcast. Do you want so to I, share? I never signed up to share details of my personal life. I thought what you said earth? you were I never said I would say that to our <laughs> listeners, <laughs> he says, batting his eyelids coquettishly. Um, oh, but okay. I think this is probably going to make me sound almost as much of an egotistical so-and-so as I actually am. Uh, so I had an interview uh, for a job because I am a long-term unemployed scrounger, to use the terminology of the Daily Mail, who delights in speaking to folk like me. Um, and I had an interview last week, uh, which I noticed the Daily Mail didn't line up to applaud, but I was extremely <laughs> nervous before it. And having actually really, really found something confidence-boosting about listening to... I mean, I have to say it's mostly the intelligent voices who push up with me on this podcast. When Red made the first podcast, which was online, available to us, <laughs> I, I actually, in a fit of desperation before this interview, um, started listening to the podcast. And whether it was due to my ego being stroked just by hearing my voice recorded, uh, or the fact that my uh, co-stars sound extremely intelligent... Uh, and therefore, by extension, I can't be a complete dimwit due to association. Uh, <laughs> my nerves uh, reduced a good 12 to 14%, which I was very happy about. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Someone is okay, a, lot, a lot more than 12 yeah. to 14%, to be honest. It completely calmed me down. But I just, so have to, I just have to add uh, one correction here. Now, come on now. You had 14 years of... <laughs> employment and this is an interim and yet the daily mail would describe funding. someone who's been unemployed as much as often and as long as i am as long-term unemployed it has not presumably even it would be yet. the daily telegraph as uh, the mail wouldn't deign to cover people of my accent <laughs> well i mean we love all readers of all newspapers but uh, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely just not the ones that harry is suing for you know phone hacking <laughs> I'm not following them. But I think that's really a great story and also reminds me like, I don't know, sometimes it's so easy just like to do stuff, move on, do mm. stuff, move on, but never really acknowledge stuff that you've already 
you know, achieved or done or... Um, I have been recorded 10 times talking about a series which I have absolutely no context for, for at least an hour with good friends. That is an achievement. (laughs) It's been fun. Um, The second thing I wanted to just cover before your... um, Who typed in juries still out on that? Sorry, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, is uh, we don't have an intro yet as, um, well, 22 people might have noticed or 12 people might have noticed. But uh, I spoke to my brother, who's actually has lots of music production experience, and um, asked him if he would compose an intro for us. So he is on the job. He's on the case. Amazing. Wow. What do you mean, like, a, like I mean, a It's not going to be something like the Benny Hill theme to you and, like, diced up like, with yeah. Star Trek, Ayla, whatever that sort of Instagram guy is who is, like, what if you're at a wedding and the bride and groom like Star Wars, The Mandalorian, Jurassic Park, and sort of <laughs> slices up um, <laughs> wedding cheese classics with uh, movie themes? It's not going to be like all that, right. is it? You nearly lost me there, Jamie. <laughs> to be honest, I sent you all of the clips. You even sent me a laughing emoji. If that doesn't okay. show full-hearted endorsement, what does? Well, I think I was too busy trying to think about how to answer Jamie's question. Sorry, but uh, yeah, a 15-second intro, which eventually we can with some editing, although it looks like we might be able to just do it on Zencaster, like mm-hmm. put it on the beginning. And then if we ever decide to do editing, you know, we could go from section to section with a little intro mm. and have a little outro. Mm. But yeah, so he's on the case. Exciting Boom. stuff. Familiar Dumblom propping us up yet again. Well, not really, but uh, I would love to have some kind of family empire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a show called Succession, but I sort of imagine that's no, what after is an endgame. Uh, but Jamie, do you want to give us your summary or your gut take? I don't know how you kind of come up with this of Prime Directors. Oh, I just look at what the characters have done, I interpret it in the most negative and insulting possible way, and that then add a layer of a character from university um, who was finished everything with the phrase, and then I chundered everywhere. Uh, I sort of channeled <laughs> that into it. <laughs> My wife looks revolted, uh, which, she, well, she might. Um, so I think this is going to be about... Uh, I, I'm going to start off with uh, the tagline that if the Delaney sisters had been better the Ars Amatoria... Harry Kim wouldn't have interrupted the captain getting some sugar and thereby kicked off an inter-civilization conflict. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm leaving it there. We're just saying the fact that they only had a chance to get home. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that this was ruined was entirely down to, you know, Harry having gotten into a romantic liaison with someone who showed him the inter- the technology. If the Delaney sisters hadn't thrown Harry off a gondola in holographic Venice, the captain would have gotten the sugar. No one would have ever found... Fa- and I say sugar in inverted commas. I should probably say, like, sugar. Um, <laughs> and then no one would have ever needed to find out about the opportunity to, you know, um, not magically, but through the power of advanced technology denied to us by another species prime directive, um, get home. Sorry, was that insulting enough to enough areas or facets of the canon? Shame, I don't know why Harry's going to get so much trouble, but sure, that was it. <laughs> well, Helix has had it pretty pretty hard from me of late, so I'm, I'm twisting this one. Hang on, Helix only had like one little scene. Um, so yeah, should we, be- <laughs> should we begin? 
Uh, so we start in the mess hall and we have that scene where like Bellana and Seska are gossiping about the Delaney sisters that you've waxed on about now. <laughs> and and uh, Harry Kim and uh, yeah. Tom Paris with them as well. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. And, and effectively everyone's teasing uh, Harry about his lack of romantic success. Um, and Tom Paris is letting the cat out of the bag that... Uh, Harry went off with one of the Delaney sisters in a gondola in Venice and um, <laughs> things ended disastrously because he fell in. And when questioned well, about actually... why this was, uh, Tom Paris says, you don't know how voracious the Delaney sisters are. Yeah, that was inappropriate. That was <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yes, completely workplace inappropriate, <laughs> but also quite funny. I think there's going to be a lot of that, a lot of HR involved in this episode, I think. Yes, there were a couple of corporate moments. moments. Corporate moments. (laughs) But um, then we kind of see Janeway, not spying, but she's also in the the mess hall canteen and looking at this kind of banter. She looks really happy. She does. does. I've got to say, this is my favourite scene in the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, do you want to take us through it? Because well, oh, I know how much you love to be red, and that's no, Jenny's favourite. Jenny's doing it. Thank you, Jenny. But I have I have well, the line written you. down here. I have many oh, lines written down. Oh no, now the pressure's on to get it exactly right. <laughs> Maybe you could say it word for word. This is not um, No, Jane was very happy that it's finally happening. Finally, the two crews are merging and becoming friends. And I I think what Tuvok's Tuvok's brilliant delivery of this line, something along the lines of. That will increase efficiency and improve performance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very corporate moment. If I have to, I, I know. <laughs> it's such a deadpan delivery. I just, yeah, it's brilliant. It's my favourite bit. Ah, uh, he's really, they're really good it, there. Jamie, it, anything to add? No, no, no. I, I just that it was a wonderful corporate line, which um, is taken on board by our leadership figure in a way that, for once, I admire from her leadership style later in the episode. But we oh, shall true. find out more. I think it's appropriate to set the stage that this idyllic scene of uh, Lean Six Sigma-based performance optimization and efficiency maximization is interrupted by an emergency <laughs> klaxon uh, with Chakotay saying that there's a distress call and we zoom to the bridge with Captain Janeway walking in. But magically, somehow, Harry Kim has arrived there already and is already behind his station when they, in fact were in the food hall at the same time. So I call continuity error, wow. but others may correct me. <laughs> As they say on the um, Office Ladies pod, good catch. I mean, it is just a good catch. For the sake of it. I didn't notice that. Um, but this distress call kind of, there's a like kind of a, what's the t- term? A reverse distress call. I know. Do you want to explain it, Jamie? I, I would absolutely love to. So... They arrive at the bridge. The captain asks, what's the situation? And is informed, there's a ship uh, X many uh, hundred thousand kilometres away. Five. Sorry? Oh, sorry? No, no go no. ahead, sorry. Uh, it has five life forms on it. Yeah. Um, they emanate a distress call, and the captain slows the vessel down as they approach and says, hails them. Uh, but just before she hails them, the distress ship hails a voyager, she said, and she asks, we got a distress call from you. What's up? How can we help? And this incredibly suave, uh, rather attractive uh, alien silver fox uh, with 
the weird sort of graceful green halo uh, head arrangement says, we, we emitted a distress call because you are in distress. <laughs> and there's like this pause as everyone sort of computes that. Interesting, and then comes interesting back accent in. choice. And then we go into the theme, which starts off in this fiery comet trail and continues off and into an ice comet trail. But Red, the theme is wow, your thing. Wow, you so. a lot of notes this week. Well, I just feel like I haven't been committed enough lately. Um, I, I haven't really emotionally invested in it as much as it sort of merits if I'm using this as an interview prop. So, you know, here I am. <laughs> great. So after the intro... <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't on... meant to sound insulting. I love doing this with you guys. You're great, too. I'm, I'm not insulted. <laughs> Maybe I should be, but I'm not. I don't know if I should. Stop digging, Jim. Just... Yeah. Um... <laughs> So we after the intro, we're back on the bridge, and we, um, I don't know when we find out his name, but I did check on Wikipedia, and that's... Gaffer um, Laban of Sakaris. Yeah, there we go. And he basically wants to come on board and pitch them, like, a proposal. Mm. He's got I, an idea in mind. I mean, he's very familiar. I've, I've, did anyone Google what he's been in? No, but I tell you who I did that with lately and i was unbelievably surprised by so i've got to say this because i'm an incredible fan of ted lasso trent crim from ted lasso is on one of my favorite programs with stephen fry called absolute power and in it his character is called jamie and he's insufferable in a posh accent so i have a commonality with trent crim you really that really disappointed me i thought you were gonna say you'd been in star trek sometime <laughs> oh good heavens no he has I mean, trent crim has the hair of a star trek character I mean, let's be honest, his hair could effectively be an entire costume, but no. <laughs> Wait, I'm a bit confused here. I'm looking on Wikipedia. I believe the actor that played Gath was Ronald Goodman. And I th- uh, his like uh, film filmography is a lot of French stuff. Um, so <laughs> Ronald Goodman is French. Yeah, yeah, so I think, um, but he was in Lost, Lipstick Jungle, Heroes, The West Wing, Mad Men and <gasps> Hunters. So maybe that's oh yeah, yeah, H- heroes. I probably saw him in. Okay, I mean, I didn't watch a bit of Mad It's also been on every single Law and Order. But anyway, so maybe I've seen him there. Hmm. I mean, not every single episode. Yeah, a few of the franchises. Hmm. Um, okay, so he's he wants to come aboard and pitch some idea to the captain. Um, so the next thing we are in the in the kitchen and Neelix has a, a little appearance, Jamie. I don't know how you felt about that. He, he does. But that's when Jamie Sorry. That's when I... Janeway introduces Gath from Sakaris. So we find out his name is Gath. He's from the Sakara system or Sakaris planet. They're the Sakarians. And um And he claims to have an irresistible famed. proposal for them. Yes. So we find out that they fame for their hospitality. So Jamie, do you wanna take us through any of the details of the scene? Well, I, I obviously want to focus on the most important thing there, which is Neelix's hat, which I think, <laughs> and again, yep. marking one down. I know he's only got one scene, but he's still getting one mark in the Neelix is a liability column, which I retrospectively think I'm going to have to keep for this series. So yep. one, one scene appearance, one Neelix is a liability score. Good lad. Um, but he he is originally a little bit prickly because... He feels a bit defensive about the fact that Gathro Laban comes in with his own food canister as though Neelix's yeah. food isn't good enough. And the way in which the captain presents him suggests that he's actually going to cook something up for everyone. Um, you see but then his, Neelix, back, he, he his back yeah, up a little bit. 
I know you can you can see him bristle slightly. But then he finds out that he's from Sicaris, and Neelix provides uh, the inevitable function which he does for uh, the plot context on these of giving some context and saying that oh, Sicaris is famed for its hospitality. Um, there's stories about uh, their hospitality. Um, yeah, and um, then then there's a bit an odd sort of bit though where. Uh, Gathro confirms this and says, uh, you know, come and we can offer you respite. <laughs> uh, and he basically says that uh, this would be an enormously fantastic thing. There'd be gifts, pleasure, you could all come and relax, and this would offer respite. The captain then turns to Tuvok and says, all of this would increase performance and maximise efficiency, don't you think, Mr. Tuvok? As Gathro <laughs> has literally offered them the riches of the earth, luxurious... <laughs> people waiting on them hand and foot, the pleasures of, you know, the flesh carnal and all, all others implied there. Um, and Tuvok uh, replies to the captain, indeed. <laughs> Always so much, so understated. Um, mm. A very random side note, but I would have to share. I've been watching this series on Amazon Prime from the 80s called Hunter, which is just like crazy, not crazy. It's like oh, a you told drama. me about this. Um, the eighties and um, an episode I watched recently had Neelix slash Ethan Phillips in it as a normal human being. Wow, <laughs> so that's really Wait, you mean he's not actually an did alien? You, did you recognize him? Yes, because his voice is distinctive. I would not have recognized him, obviously, after he cut my eyes. It's really exciting for me when I watch these old shows and I see like actors as they were like getting their first kind of uh, guest. No, I don't have to guess. Big break. Like, yeah, well, as they like, they have their bit parts as they like, you know, working their way up to series regular. Um, but like, I think I mentioned, I saw the Doctor and the Golden Girls. Anyway, it's very exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jenny, how did you feel about Gaff when, or Jamie as well? Because this is the first I kind of know him now. But like, how did he come across? Is he like? I, I felt like he was a bit creepy. Swab. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah the, swab, Jamie swab, described him as swab, and, and that, uh, that couldn't be further from. <laughs> I mean, it's just really super creepy. Um, but I think, uh, I think that's probably head. not what. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't think that's what they were oh, going for when they filmed it. I think he is supposed to be sort of suave <laughs> and, and sophisticated. Um, but uh, I think now, to me, in this day and age, it's a, it's a little bit just. I'd be a bit scared. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be alone with him. <laughs> um, but Janeway seems to like him, so. Well, she, I even, she does seem to like him, but I think there are moments later on where she, you can, I feel like you can see she doesn't know if she should trust him or not. Uh, but we'll, mm. we'll, um, we'll get there. So, yeah, he basically invites them to go on vacation or take a vacation on Sakaris. Um, and so the next thing we see there on this planet, Sakaris in like a market, um, and Gaff is browsing some beautiful fabric with Janeway. Hmm. And he's like, he immediately wants to like, she likes a certain fabric. He wants to like get her a dress. She's like, that's too much. Let's start with a scarf. He's like, you don't understand. Me giving you this dress brings me pleasure. She's like, let's just keep it small. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of touching between or of Janeway by him, which she doesn't react to as negatively as I was sort of expecting in this scene. Mm. Cool. We lost my Janeway. wife clearly has, though. <laughs> my wife is clearly offended by the She's touching back. between Gathra and Janeway. You know what? When I was listening to the Delta Flyers podcast of this episode, hmm. um, I kept going, 
on and on about the touching and calling some scenes orgies, whatever. And I was like, what are they talking about? But I think because I had to like make, I was making so many notes. I was not watching when they weren't talking. So every time they stopped talking, <laughs> I looked down and make notes. So I didn't see as much of the touching. Jenny, are I you mean, back? You look like... Hmm. I don't know if she can hear us yet. Um, she appears to have lost us both. I can see her on screen. Can see you. Are you back now? Hmm. Maybe. Hold on. I'll close down some of the um, Boris Johnson real time and also Star Trek wiki uh, pages that I have on at this at the moment. I always need to close tabs. Yeah. I mean, maybe we just we were just talking about things that were too graphic for Jen. I think she heard that, so that's a good sign. <laughs> that's exactly what I intended to happen. Jen, were we talking about things in too graphic a manner for you? I think I missed all the graphic stuff. Ah, no, Jamie, we, can we, we haven't moved on. We exactly where we were. We're in the market, and Jamie was. We're in the market for a Star Trek orgy. Oh, all the all the touching stuff. Yeah, later on, there's a specific moment when he puts her hand just sort of round, almost round her neck. Yeah, um, and that's and that's a bit like you can see it's sort of it seems to be some kind of intimate gesture. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> not her neck; it's around her chin. Wait, intimate it is horrifying. far more touchy than you'd imagine Janeway tolerating from some stranger she met a few days ago. Yeah, but you know, well, as I said, I make the assumption when I was up until very recently that no one in Star Trek was having any sex, but they were normal. Have you heard of the Delaney sisters? <laughs> You know, and she she won't, as you, I think, maybe we haven't touched on this, she's not going to have a relationship with someone in her crew, so she has to consider her options. <laughs> so, that doesn't mean go great. at light speed at any available, you know, partner off-planet who just makes himself known. Why, why doesn't it mean that? <laughs> I mean, to, to, because if nothing else, this guy's a sleazebag. Yeah, because, you know, sleazebag. interspecies STIs. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just, I'm trying to be a grown-up about it instead of having my, oh, no yeah. one does that. I, I'm going to go with my inner child. It's really, really icky, and I don't like it when people mess with her. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we're about At to reach level. a crucial plot point, so let's get there. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Also, in this market, I think uh, Harry comes across uh, a woman. I don't know what, uh, mm. yeah, what are they called again? Sakarian? What are they? Sakarian? Sakarian? Female Sakarian? Mm. What, playing what he thinks is a musical instrument, except it's not. Twist. No, so. it's an atmospheric center which works through uh, changes in nonlinear resonance. And this helps Harry to bond with the person adjusting this instrument, which, whilst it's an atmospheric sensor, is producing incredibly harmonic and beautiful sounds. And I think that chimes an awful lot with loads of things and loads of details in the market, which at this stage feels really innocent. Because, for instance, the shawl that Gath offers to Captain Janeway is made from petals which bloom in moonlight. And I just think that there's a lot of touches about this place that make it seem really innocent and beautiful and romantic uh, before we see the slightly seedy underbelly. But um, Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point. 
Hmm. Um, so yeah, he gets to kind of, she helps him, as we say, uh, and she introduces him and lets him like kind of play around with it. Hmm. Uh, and then we kind of come back to Janeway and Gath and they're finalizing the scarf. But Jamie wants to get to work collecting plants and seeds. As a, but hmm. I didn't know where that came from. Is that why they were there? I thought they were on vacation. Well, they, they were, but Neelix did mention the opportunity to uh-huh. gather new food sources to improve their overall uh, stock of plants and stock of food um, and okay. provide new things to replicate to provide a little bit of variety to what they're hmm. already serving. So I think that was one of the uh, pieces of work that was going down while they're there. And I think Janeway at this stage sort of hides behind that a little bit to try and perhaps stop Gath coming on quite so quickly. Good point. But he does take the opportunity to invite her and her officers to dinner, mm. something an evening. A, a celebration that evening. Celebration, sorry. Mm. Um, so we hear the captain's log at this point, and I think basically everyone's having a great time down on mm. Sakaris. Um, and we, we go back, and um, now we see, again, back on the planet, we see Harry and this woman Udana. I got that mm-hmm. from Wikipedia. I'm not sure they actually, they mentioned her name, I think like once. Yeah. And uh, they seated somewhere, I guess, and he's telling her the story of how they got flung into the Delta Quadrant. Mm. And, and she reacts really unusually to this, this story. Mm. She describes it as a noble story and a very positive thing in that regard. Um, and, and she's very, very impressed with it. But also she shows some of the local custom and reverence for stories by asking Harry's permission to tell it to others and then saying stories are sacred and she would never tell someone else's story without asking permission first. And Harry, perhaps slightly buoyed by this, uh, says, of course you can have permission. I've got other stories as well. (laughs) Um, And she says, I've got the perfect place to hear them. Come, Come with me. And she and Harry sort of hold hands and run off through the middle of the party um, and now, before we go any further, I I just need to ask the question of, if I'm Harry Kim, and I've <laughs> just been involved in what I can only describe as Tom Paris's brush with a fate, in my view, worse than death, in a personalised noir detective story an episode or two ago, would I be that keen to run off with a random alien for a romantic liaison who I've not met before that night on an alien planet uh, to go and stand on a weird thing that magically teleports you elsewhere? I just want to ask that question for context. Um, well, that is a very good point, but it's a, I think the term they use is serialized, so it's as if nothing ha- previously happened. Um, <laughs> All happened. right. If that makes any sense, sorry. Um, do, no, no, that does. But from a TV also... writing perspective, not from a like actual uh, uh, human logic perspective, which is my I need logic. I need people to learn and grow. Damn it, that's all I ask for my TV series. But does that also outline what's going on in that Harry has been taken by the hand to a teleporter? Where, but I think at that Red... point he's like surrounded by the whole crews on the planet. So why would he feel that he was going to be landing up in the same situation? Because I mean, she takes him off safe. somewhere isolated. So maybe not as she takes him by the hand, but the moment they've teleported, she's taken him off somewhere else completely on the far side of the sector or the quadrant. But he doesn't know that yet, right? So no. he, he just thinks they've like beamed around another the corner. Of the planet. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, she is very excited. Well, when 
when he that he has more stories to tell. So they, she does want more privacy, and that she takes him. They stand on that platform, um, and as you say, they transported to Alastria. Uh, and she wants more stories, but uh, Harry has more questions because he's starting to notice there's quite a lot of differences between mm. where they were and um, Alastria. Uh, the, time, at, the time difference for starters. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's already, it was dark in Sakaris and now it's light, I think. It's dawn. Um, it's just hitting dawn in Alastria. And we know this because there, there's some wonderful parts of the scene. And I, I sort of, part of me is like, how on earth does Harry keep it together enough to ruin the captain's situation? Because he's subjected to something called the Dawn Zephyr, which is this incredible experience you get at dawn in Alastria, where you have the Erosine winds, the passion winds, which just create euphoria. Uh, and Harry, while being subjected to these and quite clearly affected in a euphoric way, not dissimilar to someone taking recreational drugs, as indeed is Udana, uh, responds in a restrained way saying i'll say but where where are we um there are two sons for instance and um Sikaris only has one she says yes we're in alastria as so that explains everything and there's a little bit of back and forth until finally she explains that alastria is was it forty thousand light years away yeah forty thousand light years away uh, and they'd been taken there by this piece of sakaran technology which uh folded space time at which point Harry's jaw just hits the floor. Um, and he says, we've got to get back. We've got to get back. I've got to talk to Janeway. And eventually they rush back where Captain Janeway is saying to Gath, look at me, I'm the, I've lost all track of time. I'm the last one <laughs> here. And it looks as though something, a kiss or a romantic moment. Maybe. Yes, he leans in for a kiss. I mean, mm. she looks up and at Harry everything. Kim ruins everything <laughs> by rushing and saying, Captain, I've got to talk to you about some engineering. Or words to that effect. She actually tells him to like, calm down. I mean, maybe not those exact words, yeah. but she's like, uh, easy, Tiger. Um, I know. He, that, he, uh, yeah. he manages to calm himself down enough to... Um, Ruin uh, Captain Janeway's sugar. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Just say that he just got transported, I guess, 40,000 light years. And Gath is like, um, or he like shares that they call it a spatial trajectory. Hmm. And Elastri, we learn that Elastri is at the outer bound of its range. So as far as it can go, it's 40,000. Hmm. So it wouldn't get them the whole way home, but it would. You're kind of thinking, wow, this yeah. would like cut off a significant chunk. And, mm. and it's More given than context and some sort of, uh, how should we cut it? put it um a unit is put to that as it's articulated that that would cut four decades off their journey um yeah. but at the mention of sharing this technology as they obviously set not sensibly but understandably ask gath a shadow passes on gath's face and maybe you can explain why that is because i i well, don't know much about what's articulated the prime directive well, I also, at that point, you kind of hear Udana say, I tried to tell him. <laughs> but obviously, in all Harry's excitement, he was not listening to anything she had to say, except, like, you know, mm. probably about the technology. And um, Gaff basically tells her that they can't share their technology. It goes against their canon of laws. Mm. And if they break this one rule, whatever, they worry that it will lead to, you know, breakdown of their values, I think. And, um and so he's very firm that that's not something that they can share. And uh, Janeway and Harry are obviously disappointed. But at this point, I was like, now that I'm rewatching it, I'm like, I understand why they're disappointed. But they have their own prime directive. So why? Why don't they? <laughs> why? 
<laughs> they should just be like, okay, thank you. And <laughs> well, not okay, thank you. I guess but, they. But, yeah. Yeah, but actually, I really like the next scene after this, though, because it, it ends. Oh yes, that is at, a good scene. At that stage of them effectively being given this sort of straight back, no, you can't. And then, so just to set the scene, they in the the briefing room. Back I want to set the scene. I want to set this scene. <laughs> um, no, because I really like this scene. Um, so they're they're in the okay, ready but room. But you did dive right in without setting the scene, which is why I tried to set it. I realise that some might have described that as premature on my part, Red. <laughs> However, I'm about to set the scene. So, having When I say set the scene, I just mean I'm going to say where they are and who it no, is. No, no, that's exactly what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Let me set one scene. Oh, we're collapsing into anarchy. Sorry about this. Um, no yeah, sorry to our 0.12.22 listeners. Um, so, having concluded with Gath telling them that it was a no-go... We then find ourselves in the Star Trek Voyager ready room or briefing room with the command crew there in Captain Janeway, uh, Harry Kim, Tuvok, Chakotay and Bolana Torres. And it starts with saying, with Janeway saying, so this is what it feels like to be on the other side of the fence. And then she articulates the fact that there have been countless situations in which Star Trek and not Star Trek, but um, Starfleet Federation. have been the and the Federation have been the ones denying technology to other civilizations because of their prime directive to not interfere in other civilizations through the provision of technology. And an argument then ensues with Chakotay saying that he knew of multiple occasions in which Star Trek officers, uh, not Star Trek, Starfleet officers, with adequate ethical imperatives had ignored this. Um, while Takote puts down a blank no saying that shouldn't be done, and Harry Kim says, saying, it does more good than harm to follow the Prime Directive. And to me, that that's a really sort of nice, the boosh is on the other foot, and they're realising how alone and far from home they are moment in that they realise they're the other side of that fence. But I, I value your guys' take on it, as I was so excited to go on about it, I probably nicked <laughs> people that wanted to talk about it, so sorry. No, I thought it was like just a very interesting scene because all, now that I, and I'm just recalling it to my mind, um, I did, when I was actually looking up, I, it was kind of like that whole discussion was ha- happening behind Janeway as like they were discussing, oh, this is, you know, so frustrating. Oh, wait, we have the prime directive, but yeah, sometimes it's not right, but overall it's kind of for the best. And um, the way it was like kind of shot, I guess, was just kind of interesting mm-hmm. because it was like the, quite a lot of um, con- like attitudes towards the prime directive were covered like in a very like, natural quick way and you kind of mm. wanna, which i thought was interesting or oh, and well done mm. um but yeah she does seem um kind of committed to sticking to her principles and the the principles of the mm. prime directive uh but then i guess tuvok points out that they shouldn't just assume that the first no actually means no forever because it could be a negotiation strategy they could mm. be willing to exchange for something mm. um I was like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> For some reason, I'm reminded of Graham Norton in uh, some sort of uh, program that I was watching. Where he says, well, you know, if they say no to you, just ask the question again. Maybe they should. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I find it quite cute to find a parallel between Graham Norton and uh, Tuvok. But yeah. Yeah, that is a... <laughs> I wouldn't have predicted that. <laughs> I'm just going to turn on my light here. Mm. And then, then they 
discuss what the Sicarians might be interested in trading because as I think Harry Kim puts it, they've already got everything they could want and they sort of discuss what they've observed of them, that they're pleasure orientated and that stories have a huge importance to them uh, and someone can, can you remind me, was it yeah, so it was Tom who was like, uh, they have everything they need. And then Harry's like, stories. They like, they really seem, um, stories seem to be a very important part of the Sakarian culture. And they could offer a database of all the literature known to all well, Starfleet. Um, and Janeway was like, that might work. And that's, yeah, that's when she uses that term. They are a pleasure-orientated society, so they might appreciate a gift of literature. Which I wasn't mm. really sure how to interpret for people who like literature, Jenny. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's not meant as an insult, but I'm like, wait a minute. Well, um, I, I guess I guess it is mainly read for pleasure, but uh, yeah, it's a weird way. I wish I put so it in the true. same like the same category as um, pretty scarves and fruity yes. drinks. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, it's also a form I, of communication and. Um, I don't know, learning. Mm, but it is the one sort of bargaining piece that they have. And, and and it's interesting because she says, we have every sort of piece of literature that's ever been recorded by humans and a pile of other species as well. Uh, this must be more, they, they must be interested in that. And I think that's, I do feel a little bit as though there's something to Yudana's statement that perhaps you need permission to retell a story because actually if you imagine giving four species sentient species entire recorded literary canon to another species that they've never met as payment there, there's a degree of are you giving them the family silver is this a fair payment hmm. i didn't think of that hmm. it's well, it would be learned worth rich. a huge monetary value if it was in today's society, just like the copyrights would be. Yeah, yeah. Right, it would be priceless. Who gave you the right to trade uh, a copy of Chekhov um, for a Matrix generator? Sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, that is a good point because um, the li I did write a line from that scene earlier where she says, stories are a essential part of every person's being. I would never share one without um, permission. Mm. But and now they're getting ready. But I didn't really think of that. Mm, to me, that smacks of more depth than just a pleasure-orientated society. Well, I mean, I think we've learned that stories are important for whatever reason. And if you're on <laughs> LinkedIn at the moment, it's all about storytelling. So I couldn't help having another corporate moment with all the stories. Oh, <laughs> yes. Go for it. Corporate moment. Corporate moment. Corporate moment. But um, they think have... that they have something that worth uh, bargaining with, I guess. Um, yes. Um, yes. And then, but Bibalana pops up because obviously she's coming at it from the engineering perspective. Mm. Uh, and she wants to take a look at this platform to see if she can learn more. Yeah. And Janeway immediately shut that, shuts that down. Uh, you will do nothing to try and violate the trust of the Sicarians. She, uh, she shuts that down pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, and I think they may dismissed. And then there's like a little scene with because Bellana kind of remains seated, and Harry's like, "Are you okay?" And I think she says something like, "I just hope this works. I really hope this works." So you can see she's, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I found that quite odd. That bit is it. Isn't she one of the ones that's least bothered about getting back because she doesn't? Oh yeah. That's Although maybe that's a bit later on. I know because at this stage she's mentioned about how she doesn't really have any fa strong family ties. Yeah. Um, 
Mm. But then I guess I don't want to ruin the future episodes, but at this point, she does still have what she considers her family back, which is all the Marquis. So yeah. I guess maybe she's really keen to get back to all the Marquis. Yeah, that's that is a good point. Again, not really quite tying back to previous episodes. <laughs> we'll forgive them. Um, <laughs> And then uh, I think the next scene, yes, <laughs> uh, we're in the captain's quarters, and I guess Janeway has invited Garth to come share some pecan pie, or how does mm. she pronounce it? Pecan. pecan. It's a pecan. weird pecan. pronunciation, pecan isn't pie. it? Pecan. I think she says pecan. Yeah. Because I would say pecan pie. She yeah, she same. wets his beak for the pleasures to come from the literature with <laughs> pecan pie. That sounds well, revolting. I do love. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I love pecan pie. It's one of my favorite things. I've probably already had it like five times in my life, but you could bribe me with pecan pie. Would, would it tempt you to trade potentially civilization altering technology in potential violation of your species prone directive red? Would it wet your beak no, for the experience? Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, it's not that good. <laughs> There's more about pleasure than the three of us put together. You've never had pecan pie. Well, I don't stop saying it like that now. Yeah, like <laughs> I don't remember having it, but uh, it sounds really good. You must it have it really at your earliest convenience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure in Dorset there's a cute little Isn't note. it more of a US thing though? I don't know how much it is. It is, yeah. But, well, you know. my 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 Oh, no, my British grandmother based it. Did she? Oh. oh, man. That sounds lovely. And, like, I'm sure they have a thing known as a Starbucks here or something where we can get pecan pie. A Starbucks in the depths of depths. Oh, no, no. But sometimes on the <laughs> menu you got... at, like, a scone place or a... Something. No. Oh, it's cream never, cheese. Never oh, we're... Place. We are, we're leaving on Saturday and we absolutely have to have... Well, I absolutely have to have a cream tea before we go. This is crucial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you must... Yep. Um, so after buttering him up with the the pecan pie, Lord, um, <laughs> uh, she kind of like you know pivots the conversation, I guess. And she's like, you know, I guess she lays the groundwork by saying, "I already understand why you don't want to share your technology." Very empathetic. Mm. I thought good good negotiation tactics there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not by agreeing with them. Yes, telling them how wonderful like, their ideas are, how accurate yes. they are, how clever they are. Corporate <laughs> moment. Stop telling everyone the family secrets of how your company uh, it deploys you to, you know, buy shit. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. It's basically the 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 PC uh, the the PC term for a poop sandwich is what I to <laughs> by, uh, one of my superiors many years ago. <laughs> you tell. That's a good point. Start with the good news. Sque- squeeze in the bad news and then quickly move on to some more good news. <laughs> <laughs> but that's more, um, of a, that's more of a poop pop tart because a sandwich <laughs> only has three layers. Whereas yeah. if it was yes. sandwich, it's it would have poop, good, poop. Whereas yours had poop, good, poop, good. No, it had good, poop, good. <laughs> <laughs> Can we stop? It's still four. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Maybe maybe, maybe one of our listeners can like write in, in if they haven't been sort of <laughs> driven to death by the inanity and confirm the definition of a quote unquote poop sandwich. It's the it's the like um colloquial I don't know what the word is the 
I don't know what the word, but it's the same as like it's the what's the word? colloquialism. Wow, I want to say colloquial, but I don't actually know what that means. Uh, a, like there's a term feedback sandwich, and so that's just the um, more maybe colloquial way of putting it. Oh, oh right. Uh, so I got the really um, well, I got the sweary version when I first did yes, it. sandwich. <laughs> Jamie, I was trying to avoid the sweary. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind swearing. What, what if, what if, our, what if this, one of our listeners? This is an adult podcast. There is, is an audio in this episode. <laughs> oh, yes, I don't think I think I haven't marked this as explicit. That's oh. Well, now we'll have to Head. <laughs> because of Jamie. <laughs> I think if we like the same as what is on TV during the day, we're fine. I mean, um, are we past the watershed? In fact, that's irrelevant. <laughs> Yes, that's why the podcast is that's when you choose to listen. Um, but anyway, sorry, back to this negotiation. So then Janeway's like, would it make any difference if I swore in my life, my puppies are on Earth or whatever, that will destroy the technology as soon as we reach our destination? And he's like, you're not going to like what I have to say, but basically we can't. Um, yeah. But then it turns out she actually has another proposal that she'd come up with, which again, I thought was some good negotiation tactics. Mm. Yep. Um, uh, and I hadn't really thought about it. She's like, well, is there anything against your canon of laws that prevents you from like sending us, you sending us from the platform 40,000 light years away mm. in exchange for this literature we'd like to give you? So that seems like a reasonable mm. option that I hadn't thought of. It they don't may. actually have to share the technology. Yeah. Exactly. But they get 40,000 light years, no canon is violated, and yeah. Do I like the way the caption puts it as well, though. Why... We want to offer you something you might enjoy, and that sort of, again, using this mm. phrase with precision, mm. wets Gath's beak. <laughs> yeah, tapping into that... Um... Pleasure orientation. Yes, Jane. Did they ever actually explain why that proposal is not really... I understand why they can't share yeah, technology, yeah, because but that wouldn't be sharing... Them... Technology. They're not sharing the technology, they're just sending them there some, somewhere. So they're yeah, effectively exactly. just doing for the ship what, and, and that's accepted, I think. Because I think we'll have to dive deeper into that final yeah. scene with Gath and Janeway to unpack what was really going on there because mm. I think that's unpack. But um but he does he is certainly tempted because he says, You certainly know how to tempt me. <laughs> and um he says it's possible because it's such an unusual request, he doesn't actually know how to answer um you know, off the cuff, and he'll have to discuss it with the other magistrates. Um and at that point, that's the look I'm talking about. I don't know if you saw her like gaze at him beatily over her sip of her coffee as he like kind mm. of looked down to finish his pecan pie. Um mm. Hmm. The look she gave was very. I thought it was like, to me, it seemed like, oh, I don't really know if I can trust this guy. Yeah, I think mm. I agree. It was. Um, she's not convinced by his answer. Like, it doesn't yes. seem like he's saying no because he has to talk to the magistrates. It, it, it's it, the way he says it. You, you sort of think, are you really gonna talk yes. to him? Is this really? Yes. Yeah. Um, That's... Hmm. So, but he on the surface he seems to be amenable to trying to help um mm -hmm. so the next scene do you want to say that jamie um i i <laughs> actually do not um because i <laughs> i struggle with the scene a little bit because i just oh don i was going to fix you had it okay never mind so the no, next no 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 time... well i mean i i'm sort of segueing into it i'm saying no but i'm meaning yes 
Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> you're going to have to work on your communication skills. <laughs> well, we're, we're effectively zoomed to a scene with Seska effectively venting her frustrations about the situation, saying that they were 70,000 light years away from home and that the captain's promise was that she would get them home quickly. Um, and you're effectively seeing a sort of small, not mutineers, not mutinous cabal, but sort of... How shall I put this? Proactive acting action committee being formed in engineering between Seska, Bolana, and an officer who I'm going to call Ginge. Lieutenant Carrie. Sorry? Lieutenant Carrie. Yeah, Lieutenant Carrie. Carrie is the one that um, they no, had. Uh, Bolana yeah, beat up to get, the, uh, yeah. to get the post. <laughs> exactly. HR moment. Uh, well, it's yeah. a moment resolved because now they are on the same side. <laughs> so carry on, Jamie. I mean, yes, he's he's basically helping Balana when she's about to run to her own grave. But um, they decide that um, whilst they can't do anything directly, they are going to simulate uh, the sort of weird force field bubble that the uh, technology generates. Uh, and they all agree that it doesn't hurt to theorize. Um, yeah. Yeah. They seem to be convincing themselves that as long as it's all just in theory and they just investigating. Yeah, yeah. Then they're not violating. Not, not that Seska needs any convincing. She's. Sorry, Jamie, what was that? No, 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 no. I, I agree with you. Seska seems just a moral black hole at this stage. <laughs> she's just constantly. She's very manipulative because she's. Yeah. Sitting there, like, going, oh, it's my brother's birthday. I should be with my brother. It's it's quite Iago esque. Yes, it's quite Iago esque in the way she goes about it. Mm. Um, She's very manipulative. Yeah, I like the way she um, builds the the argument up as well. So she does it very well. Like initially, she's just saying because she knows Bolana's, you know, just quite is turning a bit federation and you know morals and all that. Mm. And so she starts out with like, look, there's actually no harm in us running a simulation. They could they could have run a simulation to try and find out the technical specifications of folding time or space or whatever it is um, anywhere. So they're not actually you know, taking anything away from the aliens. Um, and that seems a very reasonable argument. So, you know, that gets her hooked in. Um, and then when it gets later on in later scenes and she's having to do more and more things which go against, you know, the Federation and her mm-hmm. possibly Bolana's values, then she has to bring out, you know, like the big guns with the, with the poor brother who she's going to He's going to think she's dead on his birthday. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just really well done. I think. Uh, yeah, because she I starts off just like, almost like, ah, oh, it's yeah. she's and then like, Where was me? Where was me? And then that kind of prompts Blanc into this theoretical exercise. And then, as you say later, it just kind of builds and builds. But a bit like, mm. hmm, maybe it kind of ties into that very end point, which we'll get to. But all of her log- arguments are quite logical. Whether or not you agree with her approach, but we'll we'll dive into them deeper. But yes, she is very persuasive. There's also yeah, the thing of like it's just hum- human nature of what argument for doing most things. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, One uh, at a time. Sorry, Jenny. What was that? <laughs> I was just going to say it's um she's really sort of using um like a knowledge of human nature there as well, or yeah. or, uh, or whatever. Bellana is half Klingon, half human. In that, like, she just needs to hook her into the first step. And then it's just the natural reaction that mm. humans, once they've taken one step, they'll 
be more inclined to take the next step down the same route. And the further they go, no matter how much it's detrimental to them, (laughs) they will still continue um, completely illogically. (laughs) So I feel like she understands understands how to manipulate um, very well. She does. And Jamie, what did you want to say? Because I just found out something that I did not know. But go. Uh, no, no, no. I, I had nothing to add. That was that was good. I just can you can you remember what Alien Seska is? Because I just looked it up. Cardass, uh, isn't she? Yes. Like... No, no. She's Bajor. Yes. She's Bajoran. This. Isn't this a story plot later on? And this stage, we believe she's. Bajoran? Bajoran? Oh yeah, because she, she he looks like a Bajoran, but uh, when I just looked it up, it said. Um... Yeah, we got you're, you're skipping right to the oh. the big reveal late, in a right later episode. Right? But now she's but I can't say it. How do you say it? Bajoran. 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 Yeah. So far yeah, as we know. Yes, like, I really like that little nose thing that they have. But anyway. <laughs> mm. But she, actually, do you know what? The more I think about it, the more that is such a great plot because. The way she speaks as a, you know, Bajoran, supposedly, um, you know, I think they're seen generally as like quite a sort of um, like kind and sympathetic species. And she's talking about like her her poor brother and eliciting all these like emotional um, sort of blackmail, basically. Um, But because it's coming from supposedly a Bajoran, um, I think there's obviously more likely to to trust. Um, But... If you get that, if you got that same kind of argument from a Cardassian, um, a lot of people in the Star Trek universe would presumably immediately decide or recognise it as <laughs> emotional blackmail. Um, yeah, <laughs> interesting. So then, yeah, makes you think about every message you receive. Every <laughs> um, yeah, and the the context, the the person that it comes in. You know the yeah. the messenger. Um, so we we so yeah they left to their theorizing uh long way that last and we back on sakaris and harry has been summarized by udana for a clandestine meeting with jared Otell, which we this was someone we saw at the beginning he came up on voyager right but i kind of not sure what his role is because they call him a civilian later on and i wasn't sure but yeah anyway hmm. he's one he's a sakarian and jamie you want to explain what he's willing to do and why uh- well, yeah, he basically says, uh, he suggests to uh, Harry and Udana that Gath has no intention of actually giving them the technology, um, but he will give them the technology himself. Sorry, Gath has no, no intention of honouring the captain's proposal and just teleporting them 40,000 light years. Jared, on the other hand offers to actually give them the matrix that powers the transporter in exchange for their stories. Um, and he, he offers that as, as a trade. Um, and that, that sort of, I mean, if you're happy that that articulates the, uh, the proposal, do you mind if I see sort of into the next scene setting the stage? No, no, st- I just want to quickly point out, uh, I did I like the one mind. line. You're right. Sorry, there's a connection issue. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's my side or your side, but you keep, you go like blue, 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 blue. Um, so I missed some Might of that. Just but I just like quick... speed. No, 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 it's definitely uh, it's because it's not your physical speed because it happens with your movement as well. I don't know if Jenny's having the same thing. It was just my internet. Mm-hmm. 
but he because harry's like well why are you doing this um and he's like well there's a huge there's a, a huge desire for new stories oh yeah um mm. and i want to supply them so harry's like oh you're just doing it for self-interest or you know um and the guy's like yeah but you're just trying to use it to get back home so what's the difference <laughs> um and yeah, as you said, he points out that and Harry's like, but Jamie's already in these negotiations and him and Yudana are like, Gath is never going to honor that, basically. Mm. Um, so now they have this offer from uh, from Asakarian, which is kind of feeds into kind of their rationalizing later on. But yeah. um, it feeds into their decision tree. It puts yeah, it on so do you want to take us into that next scene? Well, yeah, because the next scene we jump to uh the not mutinous cabal uh of (laughs) tom paris seska and belana discussing this offer with harry and for the first time we actually see tom give good advice uh yes telling telling harry to go and put it in front of the captain um rather than trying to do anything himself um which I really like Harry... this line, which is like, but it's not above board. I was like, coming from Tom, I'm a little surprised. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they they then sort of decide to do that, and Tom says he'd walk Harry halfway there, uh, presumably sort of bolster his nerve. And we're left with Seska and Belana, and Seska again goads Belana, undermining the captain. Um, and telling her just to think about maybe just acting off her own bat uh, and sort of claiming that she'd changed and that she wasn't just going to go off headlong herself and sort of situate, or not sort, but do something about it. She was just going to let others act for them. Um, And I thought that was another interesting example of Seska being introduced as a lone manipulative voice in the crew. Yeah, I mean, she has good arguments because she's kind of like, well, yeah. do you really think her mission is more important than getting us halfway home? Mm-hmm. Um, and she, But then she also drifts into kind of personal attacks because she like accuses Janeway of being mm. infatuated with Gaff. Um, mm. And then I think in this scene, she wraps her, pra- like, I, the argument that I thought was like, oh, yeah, you can't really fight this. But I mean, you could. But when she's like saying, well, the captain told us that everyone's primary mission is to find a way to get us home. So, like, shouldn't we be doing that? And mm. she like tells Balan and like, well, just think about it, you know. But she's laid the groundwork for someone to talk themselves into that, mm. into what? agreeing, I guess, because it sounds what? right. Mm. Mm. But what, what would be legitimate measures to get home? I mean, is purchasing something to get you home, is that a legitimate measure? Is, you know finding it on a treasure hunt, is that legitimate, even if it's someone else's property? Going to war for technology, if you know, the adversary is, for instance, um, a species like the Borg, seen to be antithetical to other life forms. It's it's not very precise about how and how that mission cannot be achieved. So I think Seska exploits that yes. lack of specificity. Um but it also sort of rather demonstrates a principle which will come in important later and that logic is you a logical argument is built for doing something slightly morally appropriate. Yeah, I'm only realizing that now, but I don't want to give give it away. Mm. Is this is this the is this the correct time to use this word that I keep hearing in the news at the moment? And I was like, I've got to look that up because I'm not Cynical. sure I understand it correctly. No, sophistry. 
Is that is that right? Yes. yes. Everyone's using that. It's not it's not quite sophistry, but it's very close indeed. Ah. Yeah, this is the the use of clever but false arguments, especially with the intention of deceiving. I think that's the definition I, definition, I looked up was talking about how it um, the arguments were or they seemed logical as well. So like Yeah. Um, but yeah, in fact they weren't. Arguments. Yeah. Yeah, I still don't sure I understand it correctly, but I'm learning. I think you. I think this is to me. This is a, a case of um, you know. Sometimes you know a word, you read a word so many times, and then something something happens. You're like, ah, that's what it um, <laughs> yeah. means. Or yeah. like you know, in action, or whatever. It's like terrifies. I think for me, this is a good example. So sometimes you know, though, I I've known what a word is. What what feels like my whole life, and then I hear someone use it, and I think. I, I start to question whether I do in fact know. You know when you know something so well? Well, you, you every time my like... sister use a word, don't trust it because she convinced her uh, um, Mexican boyfriend, shame, that the word flush against the wall was not correct. <laughs> She's <laughs> a native English speaker. Yeah. I mean, he speaks very good English. And she was like, no, that's ridiculous. That's wrong. And um, anyway, as we all I know, have a thousand questions, but none of them are best voiced on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, but you know, when something is flushed against the wall, she was like, "What are you talking about? There's only like one kind of flush." But anyway, <laughs> oh, she meant there's like at least toilet two. flush. So three. Yeah, there's. I'm sure there's multiple versions, but um, that was really funny. So royal flush in poker. Yeah. So Jenny, I would trust yourself. Um, I've never heard you use a word. Well, I wouldn't notice to be fair, but. I, I'm just sharing that story because I'm pretty confident my sister's never going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if you are, love you. Okay, back to <laughs> back to. Um... Show what she says about you on the other podcasts. Just it's <laughs> awful. Oh my gosh! Imagine she has a secret podcast, but that didn't tell me about it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the next scene we have um, we're in Janeway's ready room, and it's Janeway, Tuvok, and Harry. And Harry has done what Tom Paris said and gone and told. Janeway everything that happened uh, it was interesting that the first thing she latches on to or the thing that she latches on to was the bit about Gath, Gath, oh my gosh Gath is not going to honour this uh, hmm. um, agreement hmm. Uh, so she turns she dismisses Harry and turns to Tuvok because she's obviously kind of trusts his judgement yeah she trusts his judgement and really doesn't know what to do um, at this hmm. point um, and she feels very much b- bound by the principles of the prime directive of um, holding up their crew to the highest Starfleet standards, even though they are out in the Delta Quadrant. She doesn't want to let that slip. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's frustrated, I think, with herself a bit that she can't compromise her, as she calls them, almighty principles, mm-hmm. um, because she's asking people to give up a lot um, because she can't. You know, um, and again, Tuvok just brings it back, I guess, to the next concrete action instead of focusing too much on all this kind of philosophical, sorry, I can't pronounce that word, a discussion. He's like, why don't you just find out once and for all whether Gaff is going to help or not? And mm. you know, then we can take it from there instead of, I guess, just expressing uh, yeah. or ruminating or imagining. He also unexpectedly voices an argument in favour of trying to acquire the technology, effectively mm-hmm. saying, well, if they're selling it anyway. Yes. 
Um, well, say, I think his argument there is that, well, it's a Sakarian that's willing to hand over the technology. So yeah. we can't. Effectively, effectively saying, is it morally okay if it's a Sakarian? And yeah. I think Janeway taking the view that unless it's Sakarian with the authority to do so, it's not okay. Hmm. Hmm. Wait, also, I have a question. Where is Chicote in all this? He's not... Oh no, when I was making notes, I was like, I hardly have making my little CH, which is how I <laughs> denote Chicote. Yeah, um, um, I always think of him as um, sort of one of her closest advisors, um, but maybe that's, that relates later on. Maybe it's more Tuvok at the start when there's still a bit of a gap between mm. Mucky oh, and Starfleet. Point. But he's a bit disappeared from this series. Maybe he was on holiday. Yeah, yeah. he's AWOL. <laughs> Um, but it is hard trying to remember what comes in the future, what's already happened. Oh, well, I yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so we, um, but yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of him or, well, is it or Paris or Neelix. Um, oh, actually the doctor. The doctor's not in this at all. doctor, new doctor. Ah. He must have been on holiday. Or <laughs> cool. uh, High value um, players get time down. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so I guess Janeway decides to go back to Sakaris and speak to Gaff directly. Mm. And I was very frustrated at this moment when she, like, asked him about it. Because he hasn't even spoken to the other magistrates. He's like, oh, no, I haven't even spoken to them. I'm too busy shopping for fabric in this market. They're <laughs> traveling. It'll happen soon. He fences um, urgency away with the captain, I put. He, he comes up with, uh, interestingly, he comes up with many of the normal sort of excuses a project manager deals with from a supplier <laughs> saying, mm. oh, they're not they're not ready yet. It'll happen. I'll do it. Chill out. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, quite just doesn't like see- Yeah. But but then he poses, what? he challenges the captain back saying, why do you want to get home? Wait, wait Jenny, what do you want to say? Oh, well, I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm very, in this scene, I'm just very impressed with how, like, because basically, what Jamie says, I think, but in both of our jobs, yeah, you can you get this kind of thing a lot, I think. And I find it really difficult not to just believe them at face value. And so I will hang on for far too long, I think, before being what you know, like, look, there's just no chance. They're just they're just leading you on. Whereas I'm just very impressed with Janeway's. Like she's immediately, even from when she, she Gath first said, um, sure, I'll pass on. I'll have to ask the magistrates. There was already a bit of scepticism mm. there, and then immediately he says, "Oh, they're traveling." Rather than take it at face value and say, "Okay, they're, they're traveling," he will ask them when they're back. Um, she sort of immediately mm. in that same scene leads on to, um, I think, an accusation of you were you you just had no intention, did you? Of, and she makes she comes to that conclusion very firmly and early, um, which mm. I'm always a little bit scared to do, just because you like even though your instinct says, "Yeah, they're just they're just." Uh, just um, trying to, you know, rob you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you still sort of your your rational brain takes over, or mine does anyway, and says yes. But you know, you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, perhaps <laughs> too long <laughs> in some situations. Yeah, because he he is uh, very charming and everything. So, hmm. um, and he said he would help. So why wouldn't he help? And. But then he, she, Jamie's kind of like, well, we need to kind of get going because we're going to overstay our welcome. And he's like, I hope you're going to stay for a very long time. So it's like the goals are completely misaligned. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, oh, there's a lot of background noise from the Scooter gang. Yeah. Um, 
and um, he doesn't like. He just doesn't seem to get why they want to leave. Um, he's like, you could stay here and have all this. Um, like they could create a home in Sakaris, and um, he just like doesn't seem to get it. And then Janeway's like, well, I think he would tire of us because she's starting, starting to realize that what they really mean by pleasure is like novelty. Um, mm. And um, she kind of points out they need to leave before they become like the crew becomes like the Sakarians in the sense that they just have this kind of short-sighted, pleasure-orientated uh, outlook. And then uh, Gath kind of loses it. <laughs> mm. yeah, Which I think is kind of fair. I mean, it is the, I think you would be offended, wouldn't you? The way it, she didn't mean it offensively. She's talking about how humans like to form deep attachments, which takes time and, uh, you know, an effort and isn't all pleasure. Um, mm. but, uh, I think I'm going to disagree with you there, Jenny. Uh, but Jenny, yeah, like, you might also disagree with Jenny. Well, so. it, it's, he isn't offended by that. Sorry, excuse me. I feel that he's not offended by that characterization of his civilization as pleasure orientated and seeking. He is actually saying there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with you that you guys want to get home so much? So you're so averse to this, you big bunch of weirdos and degens. Um, oh, interesting. I think we all have a different perspective because his line was. I wrote down was like I don't enjoy being judged like this. Not at all pleasurable. Exactly. And I think yeah. He's, he's lashing up because he's uh, can't maintain the pretense of being this like hospita- hospitable guy. He's being caught out, and he doesn't like being caught out because it's like incongruous with his self-image, and mm-hmm. so he's kind Ooh, of see, angry. See, at, I um, I didn't go with that view. Um, I think it's wrong because it's not pleasurable. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's interesting because I, mean, I, I took it. it yeah, you're right. We all we have out. slightly all three different views because, yeah, mine was more that um, imagining myself in his shoes. If someone says to you, I don't want to be like you, even if they're just talking about themselves, that is kind of an insult to you, with, even if they ah. don't mean it. Um, so that's how I could kind of see how it would mm. make him angry. Mm. But I think your two views are also really interesting and valid too. Hmm. And yeah, I think at this point it's when Janeway says, um, um, oh, uh, your hospitality is kind of points out that their hospitality is driven by a desire to derive pleasure from the novelty. Mm. And then he really, I mean, I think he gets pretty, well, he says, you're hostile and vicious. You must leave immediately. <laughs> um, I think he doesn't like being called out on his uh, BS personally. Um, yes. because it's mm. not it's not a fun it's not I mean there's yeah I'm not I'm, I'm not making a commentary on their way of life but I think it's like he's been called out on the fact really that he was never going to help them mm. and he liked to see himself as someone who's like going to help and is hospitable and actually mm. she's like he can't maintain that illusion anymore because she's yeah going so on. like he was actually leading himself on a bit as well as yeah. leading her on he liked to think that he was going to be just really amenable in any way and that includes giving them technology, but in, unfortunately, he's he's not able to be that person. Um, I guess I kind of see it from his view a bit because I do um, I do have a tendency to like novelty as well. Personally, like I always want to try and <laughs> go and explore That's new places. I know it's not the same. I to work every day. I like it drives me nuts. But um, I just uh, yeah, he's. I think he's 
he just was he's like why can't you just go along with the plan i had for you i want you to stay here to satisfy yeah. my needs and frustrating me that you can't just go along with that and by you not going along with that is pointing out that actually i have no interest in helping you i was just trying to do something for myself and yeah I don't, I don't like that hmm. that's how i read it yeah and there's an element of yeah. control as well aren't they they're they're like uh it's control in an unusual way it's not an uh, obvious way it, mm. because they're getting what they want through making others supposedly happy and giving mm. them pleasure but it is still an element of them wanting yeah, they agree to do what yeah. he wants mm. i mean in a sense they even like they leave their planet to go scour the a galaxy for toys. people that they can take back to Zakar. Yes. It's not they're not like hunters like the um that's um race or species that will come to later, but in a way oh, they are corrosion. Corrosion, yeah. Like to take Yeah, they're like pleasure hunters. Yeah. <laughs> they hunt you with pleasure. <laughs> well actually that's isn't that that's kind of they're subverting it like a bit like they he says right at the start, like with the dis- distress call. Yes. Like, you you admitted a distress yeah. call. No, no, that's because you are in distress. <laughs> um, but yeah, the last two lines. Are, oh, what was that, Jamie? Sorry. No, I was just reiterating the come to offer you respite things. But I I like the way in which the captain sort of artfully puts it because he says, "Stay. We could share so many pleasures together." And she says, "We would, but." I fear you tire of your pleasures quickly and you tire of us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last two lines are, I think just show why it was never going to kind of work. Well, I don't know if they were the last two lines, but she says something like you and you had never any, you never had any intention of helping us. Did you? And he's like, of course I did. I did everything in my power to persuade, persuade you to stay. At <laughs> which point yeah. in my notes, I'm like, ah, because you're like, no, that's not what the help they want. That's what you want as the, as a Korean. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So Janeway very forcefully beams back to, or committedly beams, beams back to Voyager. She's like, this is going nowhere. <laughs> um, and uh, so they're on the bridge. And we do have a little glimpse of Chakotay here, actually, because she gives him the order to get the crew back to um, cancel shore leave and get them back on, on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, they spread all over the system, so it's going to take a few hours. And... Um, Oh, and Janeway shares with Tuvok at this point that they're not going to get help from Gath. Gath. So, and she can't consider the alternative. So they just need to leave um, the system, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we see, I think, uh, we're back to Seska, Balana, and Lieutenant Kerry. And mm. Seska's back at Balana, just chipping away. <laughs> Blackmailing her. Um, saying she shouldn't uh, accept uh, various things put on her. Um, and then the episode turns unusual, doesn't it? Because Oh, wait, wait. I just really want to say the final piece of the argument puzzle that Seska has. You know, she's been building from her brother to our job is to get back home to um, they they have fellow McKees that are still out there fighting. And the quicker they can get back to the McKees mm. and help them the better it is. So, you know, how mm. can it be wrong, essentially, not to do this? Yeah, basically saying, but not saying you're leaving them to die. Yeah, um, wow, yeah. Mm. Um, so, um, oh yeah, so then at this point, I guess Belana agrees, 
okay, let's go for it. And um, is this the the point that you wanted to get to, Jamie? Oh no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I butchered my notes at this stage, so you go for it. All good. Oh lord. Um. So they rushed. <laughs> I can run, I can I try by memory. <laughs> okay, yeah. So they rush the transporter room with a plan to get back to the planet. I guess. So Jenny, do you want to take us from there? Uh, well, they go and they have a word with the guy who's trying to uh, buy the stories. Uh, oh no! Wait! No! 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 Uh, they're about <laughs> to do that. They're about to do that. Sorry. Um, they're in the transporter room and they're about to go down and attempt to um, do a deal with him. Um, when Tuvok comes in and they think, "Oh no, he's caught us at it. Um, we're going to be in trouble now." Um, from the looks on their faces, anyway, that's, that's what I interpret. Yes, um, and then, in fact, it turns out Tuvok wants them to hand over um, the file with the stories on because, in fact, he is going to beam down and he is going to do the negotiation. And, um, and, and behind Janeway's back, he's going to yeah. um, try and get the, the Matrix to get them mm. home in exchange for the stories. And everyone looks shocked and appalled. And I was shocked. Twist, yeah. I think I was shocked. Yeah, huge twist. Mm. Yeah, good twist. Very unexpected. Um, and, because uh, also the way they do it is really... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that was... Uh, I'm actually struggling to remember the next step now. Um. Oh, well, I just want to... <laughs> I like the way they reveal the Tuvok twist because he, like, intercepts them and he's like, is that the disc of stories? And I'd be like, I saw it had been downloaded already. So you're like, oh, that's how he knew they were in... Like, he's like, when I went to download it. And you're like, oh... <laughs> He was going to try and download the story. Da, da, da. So I like the way they revealed that. Um, and so, yeah, he beams down to the planet. And then, again, it's kind of clever because they go back to the bridge. And Chakotay is reporting to Janeway that Tuvok's just gone up back to the planet to mop up the remaining um, mm. crew people. But meanwhile, we know that's not really the reason. Um, oh, of course, yeah, I missed that. Yeah. Um, and then at well, that I was point, just a little, like, little, mm. like a subterfuge. Is that how you said? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and then isn't the next scene? Um, they're actually they've got the device and they're gonna test it out. Or have I jumped? Yes, in engineering, Sisk is losing it. She's like, "Where's Tuvok? Where's Tuvok?" And he he at that moment uh, appears dramatically. Yeah. And they start trying to test it out. Um, I think they they realize at some stage that. Um, Basically, this device only works um, in conjunction with the planet itself, which has a Do core of crossed. some kind of, yeah, that's the one. Um, and that's how the, uh, the folding device manages to work. And so they're going to have to try it very quickly because they're about to beam, about to uh, head out of orbit. Um, and if they don't, it's now or never, basically. Um, yeah, and Jane is getting ready to like issue the command to leave orbit. So it's like a race against time. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah. um, I, they forget the simulations and they, they decide they're just going to get on with it. Um, but then it starts to go terribly wrong. Um, yeah. I think. But first that, of all. Yeah, I struggle, I'm going to struggle explaining this bit. It had a lot of technical well, words. Well, I mean, I, I put here, Bologna BS is the skipper when um, January says uh, orders thrusters activated. Um, and then nothing happens, and Bellana basically says there's a slight alignment problem. Then, and says that she'll sort it. And then, seconds later, the device generates or causes an unstable plasma coil, um, 
which, well done, th- which threatens the, the, the engine with overload. It was a mic drop. He's gone. Bologna is forced to report this. coming back. Please continue. Was that mic drop? We thought that was your mic drop. Give it a moment. Give it a moment. I'm sure you'll get back. I broke the internet. I'm just typing for our listeners. Um, can, I try to it can hear you typing. Oh, nice. <laughs> this is just like being on a work Zoom call. <laughs> it is. Um, the internet. Well, come back, Jamie. Sorry. Oh. Continue. Oh god! I mean, I, I was really, you know, quite grateful to the internet there because I was just, just beyond the uh, the limits of my engineering knowledge. Really, just though. Um, but effectively, uh, Bologna continues being hoist further on her petard as the engine problems get worse and threaten to destroy the entire ship, culminating in a moment in which they realise they're going to be unable to transport. The engines are going to be damaged, and finally. Um, Lana shows backbone and tries to terminate the uh, experiment as Seska continues pushing her to try and make it happen and make it work. And then Tuvok finally, uh, after Bolano tries to get everyone out to protect them, can't get the Matrix out, Tuvok shows up and just blasts it to pieces. Oh, no, Bolano blasted. No, Tuvok blasts it. No, I think um, I, I, yeah, Balana. I say oh, Balana. Okay, Balana uh, blasts it uh, with a phaser, ending it, and then the scene ends, leaving everyone to face the dire spectre of consequences. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, is... at that point, uh, just to add, I think at that point she realizes that it would never work because this, the anti-neutrinos that popped up they hadn't predicted, mm. and so mm. the. the I think she's compatible with Federation technology. Yeah. So there's whole mm. huge risk for basically nothing, Jane. And and then there's the extra bit as well where um, Seska wants to cover it all up. She's like, oh, right, yes. let's get straight on with you know deleting the sensor logs or whatever it was. And then um, Balana's just um, she just t- totally turned a corner at this point. I think at the point at which the ship was at risk, she's like, no, I'm having none of it. So she's as you say, she's destroyed the device um, rather than mm. risk. Um, everyone, and then she's saying, "No, no, no! With this is not something we're covering up. We're gonna own it." Um, so you know, this is when she has a little sort of moral <laughs> um, yeah. epiphany, for want of a better word. Yeah, Seska's like, "You've changed," and she's like, <laughs> "That's true. I take it as a compliment." Hmm. So I like that. But yes, I didn't really like this last scene because it's, they both get quite a dressing down, and I don't like to see people getting in trouble. So does anyone else want to talk about it? Uh, I mean, I, I. I, the captain, I mean, I think the actor who plays Catherine Janeway in this scene does a masterful job of portraying cold fury being radiated in this scene. Um, so the captain starts off with um, with Bellana Torres and she effectively uh, I mean, if Torres felt bad originally and was expecting to get off with just being sort of verbally flogged. The captain literally just destroys her soul in one phrase, just articulating how disappointed she was and the fact that effectively she's prevented from taking further action by the fact that she's needed, but it doesn't do a thing to reduce the amount of disappointment she feels in her. And she the classic, just... 
So right, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Classic. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Say that again, Jamie. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. The worst that your parent can say to you. <laughs> well, that yeah. was the worst that your parent can say to you. Yeah. And then, yeah, she moves on to, well, yeah, do you want to go ahead? She, she dismisses Bellana furiously and then Tuvok is left to answer the question of what happened. And she articulates the fact that she has become incredibly reliant on him to act as her moral compass. Um, and he basically said, uh, and when asked why he did it, it was the logical thing to do. You could not act, so I did. And the captain then has to be incredible, decides to be incredibly clear with Tuvok that she needs to be able to count on him and basically says, You're, you know, I need to be able to count on that. From now on, bring your logic to me. Don't act off in that sort of a way. And I think there's a wonderful balance to them in that Tuvok is the logic and Janeway is in many ways, for all that she calls him her moral compass, the moral heart, and they balance each other and work very, very well together. Uh, to which Tuvok, having been told from now on, bring your logic to me with the captain saying, you can formulate a logical reason to do pretty much anything and you can't just act on unbridled logic without a moral sort of balance and guide to it, which is what much of, I feel, this episode and many of Seska's interactions are hinting at, that logical case for doing really, frankly, morally execrable things. Um, and Tuvok seems to take the lesson on board, saying, my logic was not an error, but I was, as his... Yeah final statement mm. but also perhaps his lesson learned from this um but make no mistake the captain looks harrowed in this episode in this scene mm. i i it's a really fascinating scene i find because when that twist happened uh i mean it was a great twist but at, at the time i think i thought no 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 that, that's just not consistent because the vulcan <laughs> wouldn't what is the logical argument for this and then uh at the end there he he Justify, he does justify it with logic, and you think, oh, well, actually, Excellent. that is quite a good, quite a good. Uh, um, and then it just makes the really good point that just that um, Janeway um, says is that you, you know, you can use logic to justify anything, um, but I she needs to be felt, able to count on him. Yeah, I've always felt that I didn't understand why Star Trek portrayed Vulcans as almost uniformly so moral for such a coldly logical race. Because, sorry. Well, I think it's because they're not driven by emotion. And I think it's, what, it's emotions that drive us to do things like... I'm not sure about that. But anyway... Well, a lot of murders are driven by, you know, a, a, mm. an excuse. A defence in court would be like a crime of passion mm. or something. Um, mm. I, was also, I was also just wondering that myself before you asked the question. I was like, okay, well, they're logical, so why does that make them moral? But I think the logic comes from suppressing emotion and i think mm. more moral not totally moral just maybe more <laughs> sticking to their morals is because they don't argue themselves out of doing the right thing due to emotion i think it's emotion mm. you can prompts you to like think oh no well do mm. i really need to do that and i just want to get home or whatever they're just mm. like uh, that's i mean i just 
I'm not sure about that, but that's I was thinking about that before you asked. Hmm. But um, there, I think, oh, sorry, a couple of themes. Jenny, do you um, have a, any major themes you want to discuss or noticed? Mm. Yeah, wow, no, I think we've covered most of them. But yes, yeah, the um, discussion just now between what is the right moral thing, what is the logical thing, um, and how those two can be like intertwined. Um, you know, and I think it's a really good, was that Jamie who just mentioned about the, the parallel between Seska and Tuvok in this episode? Mm. Um, I hadn't really considered that before, but actually that's a really good point. And probably the one they were going for. Like, well, I mean, I want together, to be very like, clear. I, she, I wasn't saying that Seska and Tuvok no, no, no. were parallel. No, but they no, both no, no. have it's, logical it's arguments. The, um, like, yeah, it's the, yeah. I'm not saying that they're, they're in any way similar. It was just the idea, I guess, of the episode was maybe to look at the two different um, sort of approaches, like Tuvok's um, using logic to justify um, mm. something, um, but then is perhaps um, could be seen as actually not the right, the moral thing to do. Um, mm. Seska's, um, I guess, kind of doing the same thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I only realized when we started discussing the episode was like, ah, oh, there was... And that line she has where you can use logic that Janeway has in the final scene where she says you can use logic to justify anything. It made me think of Seska's very, maybe not correct, but I thought pretty logical argument that she like built over the scenes mm. that she had all the moments she had with Bolana. I was like, oh yeah. Mm. I mean, that's how she kind of convinced Bolana was through her logic, not really through maybe some emotional appeal. Like, But mm. yeah, of course it makes sense for us to go get back to the Marquis sooner rather than later or... Um, we should be, everyone should be trying to figure out how to go home. How is this any different? You know, if you just, the surface mm. level, if you don't like examine it too deeply, it sounds kind of right. Mm. Mm. And then I think there's the whole, um, what, what is your, the function in life of pleasure or, ah, yes. <laughs> or the, the pleasure versus deep, meaningful. Um, I didn't really think of that. That's so true. I mean, that's probably one of the major, major ones. I guess they're like a hedonistic society a little bit. Um, although a fairly calm one. I, whenever I think of yeah. he hedonistic, I imagine like crazy, like drug-taking, wild party kind of, um, you know, violence and um, that kind of thing. Whereas Me too. Little, yeah, peaceful hedonistic, I guess. <laughs> um, and the like, dangers you know, of like it. Every time you, <laughs> yeah, every time you see the, web, the episode described, they're like this hedonistic society is hedonistic. I was like, I'm not sure that's the right word or that's not yeah. what matches with my mental image like which is similar to yours <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why they didn't go for like a full-on um actually how you'd imagine hedonistic society because that's quite easy mm. to spot what would be the problems with that whereas they said, <laughs> if you're just um a, a society it's not hedonistic necessarily but like just pure pleasure and novelty and then it's kind of um suggesting there could be problems with that also yeah um are we ready to reward our star players yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure first. who my star player is. Um it's it's not a, an episode in which anyone sort of covers themselves in glory from the start. They sort of redeem themselves at the end. Um I think it's you guys first, go for it. Um yeah, well I think sadly I cannot give two bucks the star player. I was very disappointed with him in this episode. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's slightly out of character, but it made a good story. But um, 
I think Balana for not being willing to be part of a cover-up. And we'll give her the star player. Um, mm. Oh, but I did have a... That does remind me of a theme. Not really a theme, but like a warning. How you can get so wrapped up in an outcome or trying to achieve a certain goal. You just mm. ignore all risk and danger. I mean, at one point, they were just going to try this, like... Um, technology mm. and they haven't even tested it that puts mm. like the whole current danger yeah. but they just so like all i can think about is if it works the like how great that would be like they mm. just like, sort of focus on it. they're too far down the rabbit hole that's the phrase that i kept trying to remember earlier um so i couldn't mm. that's that was it that yeah. she's, she's so far down it that now they can't see anything else yeah but they're really so- willing to risk quite a lot on something that's not very certain but Mm. Uh, but yes, but I still think that at the end, her unwillingness to or refusal really to go along with the cover up, I will award her star player. Yeah. Mm. I realised that I think we choose star players based on different different um, parameters. I mean, that because um, oh, I totally totally agree. Because I I mean I think be... that is the mm. point, but also the, as Jamie said, not a lot of glory was covered on people in this episode, so I'm looking for any bit of glory. Oh, yeah, but so I, this is the thing. I, I, I don't. Mine is. I'm thinking of the actor. That's the thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not oh, thinking, so if you have someone who behaves appallingly but does a great yeah. job of pe- behaving appallingly, I'd give them the star play. <laughs> Which oh, I've never done that before. Oh no, that's how oh, I've been doing it. Oh, damn you! That's that's you, how I. You give you give the award for doing a great job. Great of performance. Acting it. I'll give yeah. the award for performance for no no for performance level. As a as a entity in the Star Trek universe, so you give it for your reasons, then I'll give mine for mine. Well, I just I just that's what I've been doing, to be honest. Like, I don't think they need to match or anything. I just it hadn't occurred to me until now that like we choose based on different things. Because I was actually going to choose Tuvok, um, uh, partly because I just love his line at the beginning. <laughs> like, <laughs> just the delivery of that line is hilarious. Best comedy performance. Yeah, but also I just. Um, I just think he he has he has the great moments in this episode. Like there's that, and then there's also the the twist in the middle, um, and then uh, the end scene with Janeway. Um, where you find out where he delivers his logic, and you, you really oh okay, that's why he did it. That does make sense. Um, <laughs> can't yeah, argue with I, that. I think... that's a good nomination. I can't uh, I can't um, I I totally see why you would do that. Yeah. I just. Um, he, I think he behaved badly. That's why I don't care. <laughs> oh, you're gonna yeah, you give it to more to the character, don't you? The actual. Uh, no, but your character. your thing was also quite character driven. Actually, you're just saying this person had. Well, I guess it is a, a mixture. But yeah, he, I mean, he had great lines. He had funny. He had important moments. Um, it was his lines, uh, his delivery. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the the I guess how much he contributed to the um, like themes and then the discussions and the thought-provoking moments, um, I guess is what I'm choosing it for. Well, if we announce that the star player is actually the star actor, we'll probably get actors listening to this one. Oh, no, God. <laughs> if I know anything about how sensitive actors are, if I've learned anything, yeah. sorry. No but, offense, actors out there. But that's the whole point of why it's called star this. player, because player was the name they would use for actresses and actors in like Shakespeare. No, no, right? we're, we're, right? we're, we're using it. You are now rewriting history because uh... no, no, that's um, that's so. I, I, I was like, oh, it's great because we've got three different levels for it, right? Because it's star, so like Star Trek, um, star player, player because it's a Shakespearean word for actor, 
um, and star player because it's like the star player on a football team. Hmm. Man of the match. So I, I have only ever used that latter criterion, but I, I'm <laughs> going to throw you guys a curveball, although I totally, totally agree with you that it can be read on all those three levels, Jenny. Um, so, of course, my star player is Bellana, but actually, if we're going to look for someone who performs at the highest level throughout ah. this, influences events above her pay grade... HR moment um, and gets away scot-free at the end you can't really look beyond Seska as a chillingly effective operator very good yeah. nomination and Iago who Sarah. gets away with it yeah. I, I gotta say mine was between two York and Seska just yeah because for the same <gasps> reasons I do think she does a good job of that that yeah. character and that um, delivery we have something in common my dear <laughs> <laughs> Just different sides of the same coin. Um, Good thing we married each other. Oh, well, yeah, that was... Um, what What do you think of the episode overall? Did you enjoy it, Jamie? Is this the first time you saw it? Definitely the first time I saw it. Definitely enjoyed it. Felt that some of Catherine Janeway's reactions to uh, Gath felt a little bit unrealistic. Um you know, because I'd sort of imagine someone sexually harassing her in the way that he does from the start, and I imagine that person losing the hand at the forearm. Um, but no, it's, it was a good and interesting episode, and showed some interesting crew dynamics, especially as the ex marquis start to make friends with the Starfleet officers, and they start to bond. Oh, yes. And if I may just make a comment on that fast interaction, I mean, I have no idea if this is true or not, but now after listening to many rewatch podcasts with the actors, <laughs> I'm not an actor at all, so I think, Jamie, you have more experience in this. But something I've picked up is that if an actor gets to play something different, they get very excited because if they're having to play the same thing over and over again, mm. week after week, week after week. So I, I have not, again, not speaking for um, Kate Mulgrew or anything, but maybe she's like, oh, I get to play interested in a bad i better really like pick it up because every week you know she doesn't have the opportunity to do that i mean they changed mm. her hair i think everything um so yeah i wonder if that was a factor i mean i'm mm. just speculating purely yeah. speculating but i guess this is why they sometimes do those episodes where they like there's like an alternative reality version of everyone and everyone gets to play like their evil twin or something i think that's exactly why that happens um to give them like a, a change and a, a challenge and um, it's, it's fun to watch, I guess. Um, okay, well, uh, see us next week or two weeks for the next episode. Does anyone remember what that is? No, nope, I... no, you you are our leader in this one. No, I don't know. I have to look it up on... No, I don't know. It's going to take too long to look it up. <laughs> so just tune in uh, next time. Amazing. Bye. I enjoyed that one. Oh, good. See you now.